Premier Christian Newscast. Hello and welcome to the Premier Christian Newscast. I'm Tim Wyatt and this week we're looking at the news from the Church of Scotland. The Church's General Assembly voted 274 to 136 just a few weeks ago to change their laws to allow gay marriage in church for the very first time. The culmination of years of debate and an even longer campaign, the decision was marked by celebration from some in the church and deep regret from other more conservative elements. Church of Scotland now becomes the seventh major denomination in Britain to permit either same-sex weddings or blessings since gay marriage was itself legalised in 2014. Today we're going to think about how the Scottish move might affect other churches also locked in internal conflict over this issue. Will the other holdouts, most notably the Church of England of course, soon follow suit in rewriting their marriage doctrine? Is the momentum towards affirming LGBT relationships now overwhelming, or will we see instead more fracturing and division within British Christians over this flashpoint issue? This week, I'm pleased to be joined by two of Premier's news team, Sam Hales and Marcus Jones, to consider where next for the church's debate on same-sex marriage. Well, welcome, Sam. Welcome, Marcus. Great to have you here uh, for this this week's newscast. Uh, do you want to briefly introduce yourselves for those who might not be familiar? Um, Sam, what about you? Sure. So I edit Premier Christianity magazine, which is the UK's leading Christian magazine. I'm also editorial director for Premier. Awesome. And yeah, Marcus, I'm director of news and digital at Premier, overseeing our news operations and our digital platforms. Cool. So you're both basically also kind of my boss as well. <laughs> if you say so, Tim. If you say so. <laughs> uh, so today we wanted to chat about uh, the news from Scotland. Uh, many of you will have seen last week that the General Assembly of the, the Church in Scotland uh, voted to change their canon law so that ministers could could solemnise gay marriages in church. Um, it was a it was a fairly comprehensive. I think uh, voted two hundred seventy four in favour and one hundred thirty six against, and so as a result, Church in Scotland joins the kind of handful of denominations in the UK that have um, opted into providing same sex marriage since the law changed about six seven years ago. Um, I wanted to kind of op- open up really with, with asking a question: uh, What will this have any ramifications? Do you think beyond simply the the people who attend the church in Scotland? Does this, does this have any meaning for us in the wider UK church who might not go to churches in Scotland or is this just uh, meaningful for, for the small number of people in the UK who actually attend the Kirk? I think for me it's symbolic you know Church of Scotland is is not an established church but you you probably put it as the National Church of Scotland um, and therefore making a move like this I think is is very much a uh, a very symbolic um, decision, um, a decision that that would have been headline news across Scotland. Um, so it would have sent out a significant message. Now, uh, depending on which side you fall on on the argument, um, that uh, message that it sends out is going to either be a really positive one or a really negative one. Um, but for those outside of the church, that they have now been presented with this idea that those or a significant number of those within the church are now open and are accepting of people of all sexualities. Mm. 
Sam, you've been kind of following this debate over many years in your work. Was there is it was it at all surprising to you, or do you, did you kind of feel like as soon as the the conversation starts in a denomination like the Church of Scotland, eventually it's likely to end this way? I think those who have been following this closely would would say that the Church of Scotland is, tends to be on the more liberal end of things, and so there wasn't massive surprise on that level. But as you say, Tim, this immediately leads to questions for other denominations, the big one, of course, being the Church of England. I think the reason for that is just because so many Christians go to the CV, but also the CV does so many weddings and so many marriages. There was a lot of people saying, "Okay, Church of Scotland, now over to you, Church of England. Are you going to follow suit? And that's not a foregone conclusion at all. I think this is, as we've seen in recent years, a debate where Christians have very strong views on both sides. And it generates an awful lot of discussion and it really does cut to the heart arguably of a lot of what christians hold dear when it comes to scripture and the interpretation of it and so church of scotland going the same way as united reformed church church in wales and others who are perceived by some as being on the more liberal end and therefore more likely to do this and time will tell whether whether other denominations follow suit or not i think it's still an open question um, but not a massive surprise for those who have followed the detail of this particular debate you, you mentioned there foregone conclusion. Sorry to jump in there, Tim, but for me, the Church of England is a foregone conclusion. You know, all the churches seem to be moving in this one direction, and it's going to have to take a, a big pushback from conservatives to change the tide. For me, the Church of England is just all about when. It's not if, it's, it's when, and it might be in two years, it might be in five, but it's going to get there eventually. I think it's really interesting looking at the kind of trajectory and the momentum of this. So, you know, you look back at the history, the first people to go were the Quakers, unsurprisingly, you know, very liberal uh, denomination, plenty of people there who wouldn't really call themselves Christians. Uh, and then you next year had URC, which is also pretty well established as a fairly kind of liberal, liberal leaning. Then it was the Scottish Episcopal Church in 2017, then the Methodists, um, the Baptists, and now Church in Wales. And it, and it almost seems like to me, it starts out with very small people who are kind of enthusiastic about it, but we're now moving towards much more larger, significant congregations, denominations, ultimately the Church of Scotland, which is, you know, I agree it does probably lean towards the liberal end, but it's a big church, a broad church in the, in the kind of classic meaning of it. And it is Scotland's national church. And so there are many evangelicals and others of kind of conservative bent within the Church of Scotland. And so it is, if you're looking for portents, I think it's the closest similar kind of comparison point to the Church of England. And, and it's no longer just tiny, tiny dominations like the URC, but these are major national uh, national institutions. I mean, 32% of Scots at the last census said, tick the box, Church of Scotland. So this is not, you know, obviously they don't all go on a Sunday, but this is not an insignificant group. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's, it's a significant move. And I think it's um, m even more significant when you think about the relationships between different denominations. So you've got the, uh, in, in Scotland, you've got the um, Episcopal Church that has moved in this direction. You've got Church of Scotland who's moved in this direction. You've got the Catholic Church, which is holding back. And then you've got the very conservative um, and you've got the Free Church of Scotland and the various uh, versions of the Free Church of Scotland um, who, you know, are not even close uh, to, to moving in that, that direction. Now, when it comes to, to those church groups having to work in unity on issues of mission and, and different things like that, we know that there'll be certain people in these denominations who won't be able to sit around the table with others. Um, we only saw just a few years ago with um, churches together in England, where there was um, a representative put forward by the Quakers, who was in a, a same-sex relationship, who was basically told, you can't be part of our meetings because we can't be in communion with you because of 
uh, your lifestyle choices. So what does that mean for, for those in Scotland and not just Scotland, further afield as churches are um, become split? Because you will have the de denominations who just say, we're not entertaining this. We're not going to discuss it. We're just not going there. How do they sit around the table with those who have gone um, uh, in, in this direction and how do they kind of push forward because churches are going to need to stay stick together if the, if the church isn't is going to grow in our in our country in our world we are going to have to see some unity on various different issues if it's not this issue of sexuality it's, it could almost paradoxically have the opposite effect couldn't it that as some big denominations kind of quote unquote go liberal on this issue you actually see in reaction some of the smaller more conservative people like FIEC or Assemblies of God or, or, or whoever it is almost in reaction to that double down on their traditional orthodox belief which creates even further division whereas as you know maybe 20 years ago the Church of Scotland was genuinely a broad church and it had all shades of opinion on sexuality in it I suspect now it's made this decision the remaining kind of conservative evangelicals will think well maybe I'll be better off with the free church maybe I'll go independent and all that effectively means that the Church of Scotland in 10 years is way more liberal that then than it is today and potentially that has not great implications for the, the C of E down south. I think that's what we will see, this doubling down um, of various different groups, but it's how long that doubling down can last, right? So for this generation, um, whether you're in a you know conservative-leaning um, uh, denomination, I think it would be fairly straightforward to kind of say, we are going nowhere near. But what happens in this next generation who are growing up in this society where the idea that you can be against same-sex marriage is just a complete kind of absurd view to have. For those people who are growing up in that society, what, what does it mean for them and what sort of pressure will they then put on their leaders as a result? So for the, the denominations that you mentioned, I don't think it's a, it's a problem for them at the moment, but in 20 years or less than that, 15 years, um, how difficult it's going to be for them. Yeah, and I think it's that rate of change that's worth bearing in mind here. I think back to when same-sex marriage was first legalised and there were safeguards put in place that basically said religious groups will not be forced to conduct same-sex weddings. And I remember at the time there was a general feeling culturally of that's right and that's good and that's proper and we don't want to force the religious people to do things against their conscience. I think where we're moving to a society now is if you polled people on that question, I dare say there might be more people who will be saying things like, why should we make allowances for people who are homophobic? Now, you, you might agree or disagree with that view. I'm just saying that view exists. And I, I think there's larger and larger portions of our society that would say, I'm sorry, you can be religious all you want, but actually, if you're not going to let me marry who I want to marry, I view that as homophobic. Now, again, that might be debatable whether that is homophobia or not, but I think that's increasingly how some Christians are being perceived. And that's what concerns me is, are we able to hold that tension where actually those in the Christian community and those in the LGBT community are, are um, moving further towards reconciliation rather than war? And I would say that no matter where you stand on this issue, um, that the Archbishop of Canterbury himself is bringing out a book uh, at the moment on this very subject of reconciliation. You think, well, what does reconciliation look like between the LGBT community and Christians? Because I would hope that whatever theology you hold, uh, on the on the ins and outs of this particular debate, you would at least agree that as Christians, we don't want to have a reputation for being against or at war with any group, um, including those who are LGBT. And of course, there are many who who transcend those categories and boundaries anyway and identify as, as Christian and LGBT, for example. But nevertheless, I, I think the point is, is that the culture has and is shifting and changing very, very quickly on this. And that then puts more and more pressure on churches to say or do something that would have been unthinkable 10 or 20 years ago. And Sam, you mentioned um, the, 
the laws that have come in, which have meant that uh, church leaders who are against same-sex marriage don't have to um, uh, conduct a same-sex marriage. They don't have to have their building um, hold same-sex marriages. And, and I, I think that's, it's, it's, it's right that people can have a, um, you know, a, a conscious clause, I guess, to, to what's, uh, what's changing. However, I do fear that down the line, this is going to get muddier and muddier, um, especially for the, the churches that have kind of the, the parish structure, like we would see in the Church of England and the, the Church of Scotland, because if there is a church on the end of my road, which is technically my parish church, and they say, no, we don't want to have a same-sex marriage here, you've got to go to the church four miles down the road to have yours. I just wonder how that's going to play out. So at the moment, there's this, you know, the Church of England talked about this triple lock um, to, to stop any problems coming up. But I, I wonder whether there's going to be something that's going to break that triple lock further down the line. Um, and I think the Church of Scotland, the Church of England are going to have to be very um, cautious about that as they move forward or don't move forward on this. Premier Christian Newscast. Premier Christian Newscast. I was looking into the detail of, of the church in Scotland's way and what they've done is they've made it a kind of an opt-in. So if you want to conduct gay weddings, you have to actively opt-in and renew that every three years and no one can be forced to kind of against their conscience to, to do gay weddings. And it says if you're, if you're keen to do it, you need to also take account of the kind of peace, unity and pastoral needs of your congregation. So kind of take the temperature of your people and church as well. Uh, do you think that's a kind of reasonable compromise position that allows conservatives and liberals to kind of stay together where we're not forcing anyone to do anything against their conscience, but we're giving space for those who want to go further? I think that will be helpful for a lot of conservatives in the, in the Church of Scotland to have that kind of reassurance and that allowance that, that there is still room for them, frankly. And this is the issue. Is there going to be room for Christians to agree to disagree on this issue? And I think this will become a defining question for Christians in all areas of leadership, in all sorts of denominations, of can we agree to disagree on this? Because there are plenty who say no. They say, actually, am I, as a Christian, what am I called to do? I'm called to repent and turn from my sin. That's, that's Christianity 101. Now, those will say, if we can't agree on what I'm being called to repent and turn from, am I called to embrace this and this is something wonderful that God blesses, or am I being called to deny myself in this area and go a harder way? If we can't agree, what we're calling people to repent of, then, then, then everything else falls down. That's the, that's the view of a lot of conservatives, which is why for them, you know, this is, it's not about homophobia, it's not about treating anyone badly, it's just about, hang on, what are we actually calling people to do as Christians or, or even non-Christians who are saying, if you come to Jesus, then you're going to have to live this particular way. If we can't agree on what living for Jesus looks like, the, the, the gospel, our teaching of the gospel, our preaching of the gospel is in jeopardy. But there are those on the other side who say, well, hang on, what about communion? Um, what about the Eucharist? What about women in leadership? You know, there's all these other issues which we thought were really, really important at one time in church history where people said we can't ever agree to disagree on this. This is a closed handed blood issue. And look what we did. Well, we managed to hold ideas in tension. Baptism is another one that's often pointed to very different views on that across the nations. So that's the big question is can can Christians agree to disagree on this within the same denomination? And I think what we're seeing at the moment, it, obviously we're seeing a little bit of both, um, but I would be surprised if most evangelicals who, who feel strong in this issue, I'd be surprised if they feel able to, to stay in the Church of Scotland, if I'm honest. I'm sure some will, 
but I, I think for the most part tensions run very high on this um and, and i think for a lot of a lot of evangelicals in church of scotland this is a bit of bit of the last straw um it's a, this is the final straw and we're out and again coming back to the church being a white so important and why there's so much wrangling and debate is i think the church being in leadership are very well aware on this issue it, you know in either direction if the church being would say we are we are not going to change the view on marriage at all we're staying put they'd lose a lot of people and if they change and say we're now going to conduct same-sex marriage they'd lose a lot of people so that's that's the defining question for me is can we agree to disagree should we agree to disagree and is there a structure, is there a clever form of words that allows, like we found around women bishops and, 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 and women priests in the Church of England, you know, with flying bishops and complicated oversight arrangements and dispensations and guiding principles and independent adjudicators. And there's all this structure that's being created in a desperate attempt to keep these two people with di diametrically opposed views in the same room, in the same synod, worshipping in the same, the same denomination. Do you, you sound like Sam. You're saying you don't really believe there is that equivalent for that for this issue of se on sexuality. I'm saying that right now I can't see something that would keep everyone together, and I think that's probably exactly why. If Justin Welby obviously he gets a lot of criticism on this, and and there's a lot of people saying, "Come on, which where are we going here? Let's have a bit of clear direction. Come on, church wing, and make your mind up." I think this is precisely why it has, to a lot of observers and commentators, felt very slow and dragging of feet and where do we all stand here? And this is all a bit of a mess. I think that's precise. This is precisely why is because I think people like Justin Welby look at the church they have and someone like Justin Welby clearly prizes church unity, um, arguably above anything else. You know, he, he very, very close to his heart. He looks at an issue like sexuality, thinks this is going to split and divide the church. I can't allow that to happen. I don't want that to happen on my watch, frankly. And I, I think that's perhaps why it's been so slow, why there hasn't been clear decision making, is everyone is terrified of, of splitting UK's largest, you know, one of the largest uh, Christian, Christian groups, I mean, not, not to mention the Anglican communion. My goodness. I mean, it, it would be catastrophic, arguably, if there's further splits and everyone wants to avoid a church split. But as I say, you know, I think that there are Christians increasingly on both sides who are saying, look, sorry, tough. You've got to go one way or the other. What about you, Marcus? Do you have a view on, on that particular question of whether there is a way to keep people together or if, this is, if yeah, some kind of divorce I, is inevitable? I just kind of reflect on kind of history of the past two millennia, right? And, and how many different church splits there have been and, and how many discussions there have been about, oh, how can we keep people together and and whether there's a wording that can work, you know, you know, I, I, I'm kind of, I'm less, I, I don't think splits have to be the end of the world i think you know the for me the, the the job of the church is to um to to bring light and bring christ into their communities and i think that a conservative leaning church can do that i think a liberal leaning church can do that do they always have to be on the same page on, on every little detail i i don't think they do and i and i do think um we are coming to a period where there are going to be significant splits you know the the church of england is just doing everything it can to, to stay together at the moment but we know on a global scale there are certain uh, groups within the anglican church who are just kind of not entertaining the thought of being at the same table i think we are going to see that on a more local scale we've seen that um in the us um various different denominations just saying we're going to kind of part ways at that point would it be a disaster i, I don't think it would be um, as long as those churches continue with their mission, continue with their, their job of, of bringing Christ to their communities, um, 
you know, n- nobody wants to be in disunity. Nobody wants to be in a situation where, where Christians aren't walking together. But unfortunately, these are these are big issues where people are digging their heels. And um, uh, to some degree, I think at some point you've got to say, you know, what, what is it is what it is. And we're just going to go in a different direction. But I think I do think the conservative counter to that, though, is that there isn't a Bible verse saying those who uh, are baptized as, as infants will not inherit the kingdom or those who are baptized as, as adults will not inherit the kingdom or those who are ordained who are women will not inherit the kingdom. But there is verses saying those engaged in sexual morality will not inherit the kingdom. And I think this is this is where the conservative comes in and says, hang on a minute. Like we're talking about issues that cut the heart of sexuality. And it's not that the church is obsessed with sex, it's that we're just trying to be faithful to scripture here. And the scripture seems to say that, that actually sexual immorality, which is a very, very broad term and affects every person, no matter whether you no matter how you no matter what your sexual orientation is, this, this term sexual immorality seems really serious in scripture. So if we can't agree, are we calling you to turn from this or embracing this? That cuts to the very heart of the gospel. So Marcus can talk all he wants about bringing Christ to communities, but they'd say, well, which, which Christ are you bringing? Which gospel are you bringing? And I think that's where the conservatives want to jump in and say, this is, this is a gospel issue. And I think that's why you'll see conservatives will leave denominations over this issue. If their, their denomination goes in what they perceive as a liberal um, direction, they will see it as we're not preaching the gospel anymore. Therefore, I can't turn up on a Sunday and I'm off. And I, I do think we'll see that. But as I say, the split will happen on both sides. There's increasingly what I think of Reverend Richard Coles, who's been speaking a lot in the media recently about how, how upset he is with the Church of England in not allowing him to, um, to marry the man that he loved. He's very upset about that. And, and he's just as angry with the institution of the church as the Conservatives were. Yeah. And Sam, you, you mentioned that the, the church isn't obsessed with sex. I think it is a little bit. <laughs> I think it is one of those things that people like to keep coming back to. And there are plenty of other gospel issues that um, uh, cause division. And sexuality is by far the, the biggest of the law. And, and I just, you know, it, in our church, we recently went through the um, Living in Love and Faith uh, course, which the Church of England put together to kind of get the, the churches talking about this issue and, and, and like you say, disagreeing well. Um, and it touches on some other issues as well. It touches um, on identity. It t- touches on marriage. It touches on uh, divorce. And, you know, Jesus was pretty strong on the issue of divorce. And there were some big divisions about the issue of divorce. A decade or so uh, or more uh, ago now that's just kind of totally in the past you know can you imagine somebody turning up to church and being refused communion because they are divorced in in certain churches that is now kind of you couldn't imagine that happening but 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 15 years ago that that was the case um and i and i wonder in 20 years time whether there'll be people like us having conversations about the the same thing about sexuality will we move that quickly um on it who knows? I dug up some really fascinating stats when I was preparing for this about some polling. And as recently as 1983, apparently 70% of Anglicans and 80% of Christians from other denominations said that they thought sex between people of the same gender was wrong. And three, 30 years later, so 2013, that was down to just 35%. In, in each group and that's the that's the scale of this in a single generation people's minds have changed so radically 
and so fast. And, and as you say, Marcus, when you look back in history, you see, you know, you read in church history, people used to kill each other. Christians would kill each other over stuff that we just cannot wrap our heads around, you know, over particular phrasings in the Greek when you recite the creed. And, you know, we were putting people, burning people at the stake of things like that. And I, I, there is part of me, not that I want to diminish this as an issue, but there is part of me that wonders in 50 years time, where, how are we going to look back on on the things that we felt were furious and and absolutely vital that we stood our ground on? And are we going to be kind of pleased that we that we stood for the gospel and 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 broke apart denominations, or are we going to feel slightly shamefaced? I mean, who can tell? But I think it's fascinating to do the long view and look across through church history at what we have split over in the past. And as you say today, no longer seems to matter that much. Well, the, the long view is absolutely vital, and it reminds me of something that Tim Keller tweeted recently that I picked up on, and he. He just said, what are the issues today that people will look back on and be absolutely gobsmacked that we held a particular view on? And, you know, I, I think of all sorts of things, from climate change and the environment, to perhaps abortion, to perhaps same-sex marriage. It, it wouldn't surprise me. And I say this as a proud meat eater. It wouldn't surprise me if in 50 years' time people say, how could that generation have eaten so much meat? It was so bad for the world. How could they drive petrol cars? That is outrageous. No one thought it was weird to, to drive 100 miles on petrol. And, and again, on this particular issue, it's, it's quite possible that people will look back and hear some of the opinions that have been voiced in a podcast like this and think, how could they think that way? And I, and I think it's helpful to have that kind of check. Um, the, only, the only other thing I'd say on that point, though, is I'm not, in a, I'm not a believer that history is constantly progressing. I don't buy the view that as time goes on, we will all become more and more enlightened. I don't buy the view that on every ethical moral issue in 2022, we're more advanced than we were in 1990, on a whole range of different things. But it is a fascinating question I often ask myself, what are the sorts of things I just take for granted that a future generation will think are abhorrent? I think that's a really good point. I think the other thing to, to speak into this is that, you know, I can hear these conservative church voices, um, you know, saying, you know, we are watering down the, the, the gospel, we are moving away from uh, uh, God's, you know, planned way for us to, to live. And as a result of that, we are moving further and further away from what the, the kingdom should and, and will look like. And therefore, we shouldn't expect to see church growth, we shouldn't expect to see revival and all these uh, different things. And um, you may have seen the report that came out last week about the contagiousness of churches in the UK. This um, mathematician um, from South Wales who calculated the R rate for church growth in the same way that we had the R rates for the um, COVID pandemic and how many people were um, uh, passing on uh, COVID to, to friends and, and family. He's worked out the same calculation for how contagious churches are. How are they you know, getting out, sharing the news and, and seeing their church grow? And out of 13 denominations that he looked at, only three of them were growing. And those three were um, the Elim Network, uh, Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches, FIEC, and New Frontiers. Now, um, one of the other things to kind of look at on this report is that those three churches are all conservative leaning on the issue of sexuality. And, 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 and some, um, Peter Linus being one of them, Peter Linus, the UK director of the Evangelical Alliance, um, I took to social media just to, um, to ask the question, is it the fact that these churches are growing because they are the ones who are... Um, 
refraining from moving on this issue. They are sticking to what they believe are the, uh, the, 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 the biblical teachings on these matters. And as a result of that, they are continuing to, to grow. And I think that will be one to monitor over the coming years as the various large groups, you know, the Methodist Church uh, being one of them, as, as they are in a state of decline, will this move leads to church growth because people will see it as a more open and, and welcoming church or um, will, will people uh, leave because they'll, they'll see it as a, a church they can no longer feel uh, at home at. I think it's a really fascinating question because you see it argued from both sides. As you say, you know, liberals say, why would young people come to church when it's such a backwards homophobic institution that we even have it written into our laws that that two men or two women cannot marry each other? And on the flip side, as you say, conservatives say, well, look, this this only hastens decline. No one is interested in churches that are kind of lily livered and, and weak on doctrine. And if we stick to the true orthodoxy, you know, got, that's how that's how we will kind of withstand the the winds of secularism. And as you say, it's kind of too too early to tell in many ways. But it will be fascinating over the next kind of 30, 50 years to see if there is any any truth in either of those in either of those kind of hypotheses. I don't know if you have a view on that, Sam. Well, just I, I agree, and I've seen exactly those same two versions put out there by those who aren't Christians. You, you often see those who are not Christians saying, come on, Church of England, change the rules on same-sex marriage, get with the program. But you also see, fascinatingly, those, and there was, a, there was a, I can't remember who, but I think it was someone quoting The Spectator went semi-viral in Christian circles. Everyone was so surprised by it. Someone who wasn't a Christian saying, hey, if you're going to be a Christian, you should be a bit weird. You should stand out. You should have views that are different to the rest of the world. And actually, I, as a non-Christian, I'm not interested in joining your club unless you are a bit weird, because otherwise I could, I could get community from, I don't know, the local the local book club. I don't need to go to church. Whereas actually, if, if at church you're preaching like a quite an unusual doctrine and you're calling me to a really high standard and it's really countercultural, I find that far more interesting. And I want to engage with that far more than if you just become like the rest of the world. So the point being that whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, both those, both those arguments are being made. There are those saying, come on, church, change if you get with the program. And those saying, no, church, we can't change. Please stay as you are and be, be different and stand out. Mm. Brilliant. Well, we've kind of running out of time here, so I'm probably going to call that to a, to a close. It will be fascinating to kind of watch the kind of UK church scene, as I'm sure you both will, over the coming decades and see what happens with those kind of remaining holdout denominations, most particularly C of E. But thanks for your time, Marcus and Sam. It's been great chatting as always. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll, we'll see you next week. That's all we've got time for on this week's newscast, but don't forget to subscribe to this podcast in whatever app you use to make sure every episode is automatically available for you when it's released. If you've enjoyed it, we'd really appreciate it if you could review Premier Christian Newscast on your app and tell your friends about us. We're a new podcast and so we'd love to get the word out as much as possible. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Premier Christian Newscast 